So now Khadr he explains to him. He says to him, Amma Safina to as for the ship. Which ship? The ship whose plank I had taken out. That ship Fakanat, so it was, meaning it belonged to Limasakina to poor ones. Masakin is a plural of miskin. So there were some poor people who owned this ship. What does this show to us? That a miskin is a poor person, but it's not necessary that he owns nothing. It's possible that a miskin does have some belongings. And it's also possible that a miskin has some means of earning money. Because these miskin people, what did they do? They had this ship, and with this ship, يَعْمَلُونَ فِي الْبَحْرِ They used to work at the sea. How? There are different types of things that people can do at sea, with their boat, with their ship, in order to make money. Like for example, they can use the boat to take passengers across, and with that, make money. Similarly, they could use the ship to go into the middle of the sea and fish. There are different things that could be done. So we see that a miskeen person is someone, technically, who has money, who has some income, who has some belongings, but they are not sufficient. They are not enough. And by enough, it's not that he cannot afford to take vacations, that he cannot afford to wear expensive clothing. No. What does it mean? That even his basic necessities cannot be fulfilled. So, أَمَّا سَفِينَةُ فَكَانَتْلِي مَسَاكِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ فِي الْبَحْرِ فَأَرَدْتُ So I intended, meaning Khadr, I intended, an أَعِيبَهَا That I make it defective. أَعِيبَ from the root letters. عَيْن يَابَ عَيْبَ And عَيْب is a fault. So I intended to make a fault in it. Why? Because وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ Because he was behind them. Who was behind them? Malikun, a king. A king was after them. And this king, what was he doing? يَأْخُذُ He takes كُلَّ سَفِينَةٍ Every ship غَصْبًا by force. غَصْب is to take something by force. Forcible seizure. To usurp someone's wealth by force. So there was a king وَرَاءَهُمْ Behind them or beyond them, in front of them, where they were going to. And this king was taking every ship by force. It is said that the king of that area, he was at war with another people. And there was supposed to be a naval war. And for that purpose, he was taking every ship that he could find. However, it's not mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah. Therefore, Allahu A'lam what exactly the reason was behind this king taking every ship. So what did Khadr do? He made a major defect in the ship. So that when the king and his people would see this ship, what would they say? This is not something useful. This is defective. And therefore they would leave it. And like this, the masakin, they would continue to have their ship and they would continue to make money, to earn money through this ship. What does this show to us? What does this show to us? What's the lesson in this for us? Everything happens for a reason. I think you've taken this too seriously where Khadr said, do not ask. Do not interrupt. I'm telling you to speak, so speak. So we see that Khadr over here is providing the explanation for the things that he did. Remember that there are two types of knowledge. One type of knowledge is of the apparent. What happens? How it happens? Like for example, over here, what happened? The ship, 
he took out a plank. There is a second type of knowledge and which is the knowledge of the hidden reasons as to why something happens. The wisdom behind it. The reason behind it. Now sometimes something may appear to be one way. But in reality, it has a different reason. It has a different purpose. It has a different benefit to it, which may not be visible to us. It is there, but it is not visible to us. So this is the reason why we should not hasten to formulate opinions without looking at both sides of the picture. Always think, what could be the reason behind that? What could be the khair in this action? Like for example, a person falls ill. He becomes sick. And because of that, he's unable to do something that he normally does. Now at that moment, thinking, why am I sick? And this is not fair. What should he think? What is the wisdom behind that? What could be the khair in this? Similarly, you intend to go somewhere. You intend to go visit your relatives in another country. What happens? Each time you make your bookings, your child falls ill, you lose your passport, something or the other happens. So there is a reason. Now instead of dwelling upon it and thinking, why, why, why? And this is not fair. What should a person think? There must be some khair in it. There must be some good in this. Remember we learned earlier that asa an takrahu shay'an وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَعَسَىٰ أَن تُحِبُّ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكُمْ It's quite possible because وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah knows you do not know. He knows the wisdom behind the things that happen. Therefore, a believer, he always accepts the decision of Allah. And remember that when a person accepts what happens to him, only then he can benefit from the situation. Only then he can benefit from the situation. If he just dwells upon it, if he is blinded by what has happened to him, and he cannot reflect on the situation, he cannot focus on something else, then all of his time, his energy is going to be wasted. Like for example, if a person is intending to go somewhere, he wants to make a trip, he wants to travel somewhere, but he's unable to. His child falls ill, passport gets lost, something or the other happens. Now that whole week, that whole 10 days that he has to spend in waiting until the new passport comes, he could spend that time in complaining, in expressing his frustration, in getting upset with his family. Or he could think, what can I do while I'm still here? Alhamdulillah, I have another week at home. What else can I accomplish? What else can I do before I leave? Whereas if he spent that time getting upset and angry, he would not be able to do anything. So when a person accepts the decree of Allah, then he is able to benefit from the situation. Many times it happens that if something goes against our will, if something difficult comes up, we get so blinded by it, we get so lost in it, we are so affected by it, we get so sad, we get so depressed that we are unable to do anything else. Anything else. Many times I've seen that, that young women, when they have their children, they say that, okay, now I have to feed my baby every two hours. Now this means I cannot do anything. I cannot do any lesson, I cannot do any study, I cannot read any books, nothing like that. And if a woman thinks like this, then really she will not be able to do anything. If she thinks, okay, I'm at home, I'm with this child, I have to sit down every two hours, I have to nurse this child for half an hour, what can I do? Honestly, you can do so many things. So many things. I remember when my son was born, for the first year when I had to nurse him after every like two to three hours, 
or almost four hours sometimes, I remember that those half an hour to 45 minutes were my time to read. That was my time to read. You know why? Because at that time you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't fold laundry. What you can do is perhaps hold the child with one hand and hold the book with the other hand. That's what you can do. You can read Quran, you can read so many books, you can do your lesson, you can prepare your next day's lesson, you can take notes, you can write something. And at that time if you think, that's it, I cannot do anything, I'm bound with this child, really you will not be able to accomplish anything. Accept the decree of Allah and think, what can I do? What does Allah want me to do instead? Maybe I want to do something else, but that's not good for me. And Allah wants me to focus on something else. What is that something else? What can I do? And the one who opens his eyes, then Allah will show him. But a person who closes his eyes, and he becomes sad and depressed, then he will not see even the very obvious. He will not see that which is even in front of him. So this is something extremely important. That at times of difficulty, know there is some khair in it. There is some good in it. And I have to seek that good. And ask Allah to show that to you if you cannot see it. Also one more important thing that we learn from this is that Khadr, he destroyed part of the ship to retain the rest of it or all of it. He took out one or two planks out of the ship. He made it defective in order to save the entire ship. This shows us that a person may do something harmful something detrimental for greater good. For greater good. And this is something that happens in medicine all the time. Like for example, to know what the sugar level is, what the iron level is of a person, what's done? A lot of blood is taken out of the body. Now a person might say, oh my God, you've taken so much blood out, I'm going to become so weak, already I'm so weak. Well the thing is, if we don't take all this blood out, we will not know what you need. You will feel weak initially, maybe for a day or two. However, in the long run, this is for your good. Similarly, for the purpose of surgery, for different, different reasons, the physical body of a person has to be injured, it has to be wounded, it has to be cut up. Sometimes parts of the body, like for example, a certain vein or certain part of the body has to be taken out from one place and put on another. So you have to choose the lesser of the two evils where you have the option of two evils in front of you, it is permissible to choose the lesser of the two evils for greater good. And this is exactly what Khadr did. And as for the boy, why did I kill him? فَكَانَ أَبَوَاهُ Then his parents were mu'minaini two believers. His parents were both believers. And this boy, this child, was going to be a kafir. He was going to be a disbeliever. فَخَشِينَ So we feared on that يُرْهِقَهُمَا That he would overburden them too. Remember the word يُرْهِقَ? We read that earlier as well. That he would burden his parents with what? With تُغْيَانًا Transgression وَكُفْرًا And also disbelief. What does it mean by this يُرْهِقَهُمَا تُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا First of all, this has been understood as that he would cover them too with his تُغْيَان and kufr. He would commit so much transgression, he would be so disobedient, so ungrateful, and he would also disbelieve, that would cause a lot of burden to be on these two parents. What burden? 
Remember that when parents are righteous and their children, they are not righteous. Then what happens? Those children, their sins become a means of the wastage of the good deeds of their parents. We know that a person will come on the day of judgment and he will say, I had so many good deeds, where did they go? What will be said to him? That your children, they consumed all of them. They wasted all of them. Now sometimes it happens that parents they put in their maximum effort to make their children righteous. But despite their effort, despite their good upbringing, the children don't improve at all. So at the end of the day, whose fault is it? It's not the parents' fault because they have done their best. However, if the parents do not try, if they don't use whatever is within their means, whatever is within their ability, and as a result of that, the child turns out to be disobedient and disbelieving, then who will get the blame for it? The parents even, because they have a share. They had the choice to raise the child in a proper way, but they did not. They had the ability to force their child to do something good, but they did not. You see, if your child is not eating properly, if your child is not dressing up properly, don't you force your child to eat to dress up properly? Think about it, don't you? You do. But many times when children don't pray, what do parents say? It's their choice. What can I do? I have told them. If they don't do their homework, you will ground them. You will do so much to force them to do their homework. But if they refuse to pray, you're like, okay, fine. Doesn't matter. For some reason, people are generally very indifferent when it comes to their religion. But when it comes to dunya, they become extremely strict. So we see that this child, if he were to grow up, he would overburden his parents with tughyan and kufr, resulting in the wastage of all of their deeds. Secondly, it is also said that an yurhiqahuma, that he would overburden them, meaning he would make them commit tughyan and kufr. This child would make his parents commit tughyan and kufr. So this is why the child was killed. Generally what happens? The parents, they affect their children. But sometimes it's also the other way around, where the children influence their parents. You may have seen that in the same household, there may be a child who listens to the parents. And there may be another child who makes his parents listen to him. You may have seen this difference within you and your siblings even. You're always obedient to your parents, and there's your brother. Whatever he says, parents accept it. And sometimes even we see this within a couple. That sometimes the husband has more influence on the wife, and sometimes it's the wife who has more influence on the husband. Both happen. So we see over here that in this case, the child would influence his parents, and as a result of his influence, the parents would commit a lot of tughyan and a lot of kufr. So in other words, this child would be detrimental to their deen, to their religion. This is why that child was taken away from them. Many times we see that parents, they become very weak in front of their children. They become extremely weak in front of their children. They will give up. Sometimes it's because of extreme love for them. Oh, my child is crying. Maybe I should feed him and delay my salah. My child wants to go out. Okay, I'll take him out right now. Even if it means I'll have to leave my maghrib salah. I have to watch my child. This is why I will not say my askar. Many times parents become extremely weak 
in front of their children. Why? Because of extreme love for them. Similarly, these two people, this man and woman, these two parents, they're believers, very righteous. However, their child was going to make them do tughyan and kufr. This is why the child was taken away from them. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? Again, there's a wisdom behind everything that happens. فَأَرَدْنَا So we intended أَن يُبْدِلَهُمَا That he should substitute for them too. Who should? رَبُّهُمَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should substitute for the two parents. خَيْرًا مِّنْهُ Better than him. Better than the child that they had. In zakatan, In purity. Meaning in religion. The, the other child that they would have would be more righteous. And he would be أَقْرَبَ Near Ruhma To mercy. Ruhm is affection. Kindness, mercy, just like the word rahm or rahma. And it is also said that what this means is that he would be more prone to maintaining the family ties, keeping the family united. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to replace their child with another child who would be more righteous who would be a means of keeping the family united and he would be a means of happiness for the parents. Many times it happens that children become a cause of the disunity of the family. Have you ever seen? Have you ever heard? That for example it happens that two brothers, they have their children get married. But what happens? They end up in a divorce and as a result the two brothers, they never speak to one another. Families get completely cut off. Why? Because of children. Similarly, it's possible that a child of someone does something because of which their relatives, they don't speak to them anymore. Maybe the child has been disrespectful. Maybe the kind of things that he has been doing, other relatives do not accept it at all. Which is why the entire family has been disunited. So, Khadr said that Allah was going to give them a child who would be better in purity and he would also keep the family together. Remember there is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which the gist is that Allah does not decree anything for the believer except that it is good for him. Think about any parents who lose a child. What will they think? They will feel so sad. They will be so depressed that this is so unfair. My child, why was he taken away from me? Why? I remember somebody was mentioning to me once that uh, they visited someone who had just lost their infant. It was like perhaps less than a year. Very small baby. They lost the baby. And they were visiting somewhere. The child became sick. He got dehydrated. And the family, they didn't think that the child needed to be taken to the hospital. Or even if they thought they weren't able to take the child to the hospital in time. And as a result, the child died. Now the parents, it was a first child. Young couple. And they were extremely sad. So this person, she said that when they visited the parents, you know, she said to the mother that, may Allah give you the ability to have sabrun jameel and may Allah give you immense reward for your patience. She said, I don't want this reward. I don't want this reward. Why was my child taken away from me? We see that many times people do not accept. They do not accept the decree of Allah. And they say such statements. I don't want this reward. Why did this happen to me? But what do we learn from here? 
there is a reason behind everything that happens. Even if that child died, it's possible that Allah will give you another child who will be more righteous, more obedient. And if this child who passed away were to grow, were to live in your house, he would only bring misery to you. So many times we see that children become a cause of misery for their parents. So you never know what the wisdom may be. The believer, he trusts the decisions of Allah. That if my Lord has decided this for me, there has to be some goodness in it. And then he mentions the third thing. That وَأَمَّا الْجِدَارُ As for the wall, فَكَانَ لِغُلَامَيْنِ Then it belonged to two young boys. And these two boys were yatimain, two orphans. The wall that Khadr had fixed, this wall was for, it belonged to two young boys, and these two young boys were orphans. And remember who a yatim is? Who has not yet reached puberty, and the father has passed away. So you can imagine how little these boys must have been. Fil Madinati in the city. وَكَانَ تَحْتَهُ And under it, meaning under the wall, was what? Kanzun, a treasure. Under the wall was a buried treasure. Lahuma for the two of them. Because remember, these two children were orphans. So perhaps before their father died, he buried some treasure under that wall on their property. And remember that this Wakana Abuhuma and their father was Salihan, he was a righteous man. He was a good person. He was a righteous person. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not just kind to him, but he was also kind towards his children. How? That فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ So your Lord intended أَن يَبُلُغَا That both of them should reach. Who? The two boys. The two orphans. They should reach أَشُدَّهُمَا Their maturity. Remember the age of Ashud? When a person is physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, he is strong. He is established. And according to many scholars, the age of Ashud is around 40. So Allah wanted that these two boys should reach their full strength, their full maturity. And then they should take out their treasure. يَسْتَخْرِجَ istikhraj kharajim. If the wall was left as is, and if the wall collapsed, then what would happen? The treasure would be exposed. And remember the people of that town? What kind of people were they? They were not generous at all. To the point that even when guests came, they refused to offer them any food. They completely rejected. So if the treasure of two orphan boys was exposed to those people, would they leave it? No. And if they would take it, would they ever give it back to the children? Never. So this is why I fixed the wall. So that their treasure would remain hidden until they themselves could take it out. But why did this happen to the two children? Because their father was righteous. وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا Many times, parents are fearful. If I die, what's going to happen to my child? My child is so small. He is so young. I wonder if he'll even remember me. Parents, sometimes, just casually, all of a sudden they have this thought, what if something happens to me? Will my child even know who I am? Hmm? 
Who's going to take care of him? And you wonder, okay, my sister or my brother or my parents or my uncle or who can take care of my children? Many times parents have this fear. Which is why they say, one of the first things that you should do after having a child is appoint a legal guardian in case something happens to you. That you should know who your child will be you know, with after you have gone. But we see that because this father was righteous, Allah protected the children. Allah took care of them. So what do we learn? That if a person is righteous, then Allah will take care of his children even when he is unable to. Even when he is unable to himself. Many times people have this fear. If I come towards the deen, if I take the course, if I study the deen, if I volunteer, if I do something, my children are going to be neglected. All of you mothers over here, don't you have this concern? Every mother has this concern. That I'm going to be spending so much time away from my children, what's going to happen to them? But believe me, if you make your intention sincere, and you do your best, you put in all your effort, maybe Allah will give your children such good companionship that you will not be able to provide. You know, sometimes I wonder the children who are in child care, who are in the Ikra, uh, preschool, in, in all of these classrooms, you know, they're learning one surah after the other, one dua after the other, one good concept after the other. And sometimes I wonder if the mothers are themselves capable of teaching these things to the children. They're not. Perhaps you don't have those tajweed skills. You don't have all those duas memorized. But when your children are learning over there, who is providing risk to them? Allah is providing. So never ever fear that if you go towards deen, your children will be neglected. It doesn't mean that you leave your children completely. You don't care for them. No. Be concerned for them. Take care of them. Do your best. But be assured that Allah will take care of your children. Provided that you are salih. You do your best. You do righteous actions. I'll give you my own example. When I was growing up, my mother was extremely busy. I was only about 8 years old when Al-Huda started. And morning, evening, everything was there. My education did not get affected, neglected, anything like that. Alhamdulillah. And I feel that because my parents were so involved in this work, I got to benefit so much as well. And if they had not done any of this work, where would I be? Where would I be? Perhaps we would just know a little bit about the, you know, just a little bit of information and that's it. But because my parents, they put in the effort they sacrificed, this is why the work increased. And if we become selfish, that no, I want to spend time with my children, I have to see what they're doing, I love looking at them, I love spending time with them, then remember, you will not be able to provide everything for them, and in the process, many others will also get neglected. So somebody needs to sacrifice, and the one who sacrifices, Allah will take care of him. And it's quite possible that at the moment you feel that your children are being neglected and you see it. You see it perhaps in their manners or perhaps in their behavior or perhaps in uh, the way they speak, in the way they behave. Perhaps you see it. But remember, even that is a phase. Eventually that will be over. That will be over. It's just a test. You're just being tested. Because Allah has promised this. That the one who is salih, Allah will take care of his children. And you will see perhaps your family suffering right now, but in the long run you will see that each and everyone, inshallah, the one for whom khair is decreed, he will come this way. 
My mother never told me to study the Quran. You know that? She never told me to do the course. It was a surprise for her when I enrolled myself in this course. It was a big surprise for her. But Alhamdulillah, when I did it, she was extremely happy. And sometimes we think that if we go this way, our children will get turned off. They will not get turned off. In their heart, they know what's right and what's wrong. Maybe on the outward, they will show, we don't care about what you're doing, and I'm not going to be like you or anything like that. But in their heart, they know, just be patient. Just bear patiently. And after some time, you will see the khair. So we see that فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ أَن يَبْلُغَ أَشُدَّهُمَا وَيَسْتَخْرِجَ كَنْزَهُمَا And all of this happened رَحْمَةً مِّن رَبِّكَ As a mercy from your Lord. What happened? The boat was destroyed. A part of it was destroyed. Similarly, the boy was killed. And the wall was fixed. Why? As a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Khadr says وَمَا فَعَلْتُهُ And I did not do any of this عَنْ أَمْرِي from my accord. Amr is what? Matter, affair. I did not do any of this out of my own will, out of my own decision, out of my own intelligence, aql. Rather, all of this is purely based on what? Ilham from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and tawfiq. If he was a prophet, revelation. If he was just a righteous servant, then ilham. Remember wahi? One type is that which is given to the prophets, but another is also that which is given to the rest of the people. Like it was given to who? The mother of Musa a.s. So, وَمَا فَعَلْتُهُ عَنْ أَمْرِي Rather, it is based on the tawfiq of Allah, ilham from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because all of these matters are beyond human perception. Any other human being, any human being, if you were to see a child, he does not know how he's going to grow up to be. So this is beyond human perception. If he did any of this, it was based on the knowledge that Allah had given him. So he says, ذَلِكَ That is, تَأْوِيلُ Explanation, مَا Of that which لَمْ تَسْطِعْ You did not have ability. عَلَيْهِ Upon it, صَبْرًا In patience. You do not have the ability to have patience over all of this. تَأْوِيل What does تَأْوِيل mean? Interpretation. But remember there is another meaning as well. Outcome, actualization. So we can take this in both ways. That first of all, this is the explanation that I had promised to tell you about. This is the explanation of those matters which you were unable to be patient over. And secondly, this is the outcome that you were too impatient to know. And hastily, you objected my actions. This is the outcome. What is the outcome? That if the safina was defected, there was an outcome. What was that outcome? That it was saved from the king. If the child was killed then there was an outcome. What? That he was going to be replaced by another child. If the wall was fixed, it was so that the treasure could be preserved. So, This is what you were not able to be patient about, and had you been a bit patient, you would have seen the wisdom. What do we see? That many times we speak up, we object, we complain too early. Instead of waiting, instead of seeing, Instead of holding our tongue, we begin to speak. We begin to object too quickly. So what do we need to do? Just be a bit more patient. Just a few more moments. Remember I told you that story earlier as well. Of this man who always won any competition that he participated in. And so once this person asked him that how come you win every time? He said, let's try something. So he said, you bite my finger, I'll bite yours. 
And eventually he won. So he said, I only held on until you let go. That's it. That was my target. So you just need a little bit more sabr. And you will see. But if you complain too soon, then you will be defeated. You will suffer. We listen to the recitation and then we'll continue. فَانْطَلَقَا حَتَّى إِذَا رَكِبَا فِي السَّفِينَةِ خَرَقَهَا قَالَ أَخَرَقْتَهَا لِتُغْرِقَ أَهْلَهَا لَقَدْ جِئْتَ شَيْئًا إِمْرًا قَالَ أَلَمْ أَقُلْ إِنَّكَ لَنْ تَسْتَطِيعَ مَعِيَ صَبْرًا قال لا تؤاخذني بما نسيت ولا ترهقني من امري عسرا فانطلقا حتى اذا لقيا غلاما فقتله قال اقتلت نفسا زكيه بغير نفس قال اقتلت نفسا زكيه بغير نفس لقد جئت شيئا نكرا قال الم اقل لك انك لن تستطيع معي صبرا قال ان سالتك عن شيء بعدها فلا تصاحبني قد بلغت من لدني عذرا فانطلقا حتى اذا اتيا اهل قريه استطعما اهلها فابوا استطعما لاتخذت عليه أجرا قال هذا فراق بيني وبينك سأنبئك بتأويل ما لم تستطع عليه صبرا أما السفينة فكانت لمساكين يعملون في البحر فأردت أن أعيبها فأردت أن أعيبها وكان وراءهم ملك يأخذ كل سفينة غصبا وأما الغلام فكان أبواه مؤمنين فخشينا أن يرهقهما طغيانا وكفرا فكان لغلامين يتيمين في المدينة وكان تحته كنز لهما وكان تحته كنز لهما وكان أبوهما صالحا وكان أبوهما صالحا فأراد ربك أن يبلغا أشدهما 
If you notice the word تستطير Isn't it different from the word تستطير Whenever there are more letters It means more effort is required And where there are less letters Less effort is required So ما لم تستطير عليه صبرا You weren't even able to have a little bit of patience over this Had you been a little bit more patient You could have learned more You know the Safina, the ship It was reminding me that sometimes you have something that works perfectly fine You get your new phone or you get your new something and all of a sudden you see a big scratch on it, a big mark on it, a big dent on it. And at that time you may wonder, why did this happen? This is not fair. But isn't that teaching you some kind of lesson? Perhaps Allah is saving it from a greater difficulty, from a greater harm, so that you can have it for longer, it can function for longer. We see that The parents who had lost their child, they were mu'minayn. Both of them were believers. And many times we think that if a person is a believer, he should not suffer from any difficulty in his life. We think that if a person is suffering from a difficulty like the death of a child, then there must be extremely sinful. But we see that the child being taken away from them was a mercy upon them. Many times we see that parents are very eager for their children to be very knowledgeable, very righteous, very pious, very obedient devout worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but parents neglect the same qualities in themselves they're not concerned if they don't have those qualities themselves people will say oh Allah make my child like Umar make my daughter like Aisha but Umar and Aisha had role models right what do we learn over here that their father was righteous and as a result the children benefited so when you make dua for your children also make dua for yourself Exactly. Many times we see that parents are not willing to change themselves, but they want the children to change. So children will only benefit if you yourself are righteous, if you bring about a change in yourself. When we're going through a difficulty, at that time we don't see the reason. We don't see the wisdom. We don't see the benefit. But if we remain patient at that time, if we accept the decree of Allah, after some time you will see the benefit. You will see the wisdom. But only if you have gone through that state positively. Assalamu alaikum I was just focusing the word sabra, repetition of too much. And uh, I was thinking that sometimes we think that we have this quality, but actually we don't have. So yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him to another person. And when he went through all the process, and now his teacher is mentioning him, ma'alam alayhi sabra. So when you hear it from someone else, then you realize, yes, I don't have it. Because sometimes we are not honest to ourselves, you don't exactly. admit it. <laughs> and also because sometimes we are not put in a situation that will show our weaknesses to us, right? In normal circumstances, we don't know what our strengths are, we don't know what our weaknesses are. But when we're put in an extraordinary situation, that tells us what our strengths and weaknesses are. Just one thing regarding this whole concept of everything happens for a reason. I think we as Muslims, and especially since everyone goes through like uh, sicknesses, illnesses, you know, all these different trials in life. I think what we need to do is when we see our Muslim sisters in that situation, always remind them that, you know, rather than sympathizing with them, yes, oh poor you, you know, you're the one who's going through this, such a difficult time. Instead, instead we should encourage them and say, you know what, everything happens for a reason. You might think this is the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. You can still do things. You can still get up on your feet. 
you still have some ability, you're better than others. This is the way our attitude should be towards those people who are in difficult situations. Exactly. Because many times when we're in the difficulty, we cannot see it. And perhaps somebody else can show it to us. So be that light for others. Assalamualaikum. I was really thinking about how when um, Musa said, whenever he would rebuck or say like something, object or like say something against what Qadr did, he would always, in Qadr corrected him, he would always say, okay, you know what, I did something wrong, I accept it. And how many times do we, when we're in a situation and we see something wrong, does our pride come up? You say, you know what, uh, I can't accept the fact that I did a mistake. Yes. You have to learn that the only way you would learn is through making mistakes. Yes. And like I remember once we were shown a video in class in um, school And it was about two polar bears One polar bear crossed an ice It wasn't very thick one, And then he went in And the other polar bear decided to go around Instead of going across the same thing So you have to learn through others' mistakes And through your mistakes as well right. We see that Khadr is only mentioned in the Quran at this point We don't see him mentioned anywhere else in the Quran And even in the Sunnah it is only a few things that are mentioned concerning him. Now there is a question. Many people wonder that is Khadr still alive? Is he still there today? We don't know. If we were to know, would it benefit us? And if we didn't know, would that harm us? No. So first of all, a person should not dwell on such questions because if it was really something necessary, something very important, it would have been made very clear in the Quran and Sunnah. But there are many people who say that he is still alive. It is a concept that is widespread amongst many Muslims. Many, many. So this is why we should understand this matter clearly. Remember there are many stories about Khadr which are complete fabrications. There is absolutely no evidence behind that. There is no reality to them. They are just fabrications. They are just myths. And there are texts of the Qur'an that clearly contradict this concept that Khadr could be alive and he is eternal. Like for example, we learn in the Quran that Kullu Nafsin every soul experiences death. So if Khadr was alive at that time, we don't know exactly when he died, nor do we find that he was alive somewhere else. However, a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, it does show to us that of all the people who are alive upon the earth on this day, none will be living in a hundred years' time. The Prophet ﷺ said that any person who is alive today, when he said that statement during his lifetime, no one is going to be alive from amongst them a hundred years from now. No person. So that hadith shows to us that if, let's say hypothetically, if he was even alive at that time, then he would have died within a hundred years when the Prophet ﷺ said that statement. Secondly, we also see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is al hayy and everything, everyone else besides him, كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فان. Everyone on the earth is going to die. Is going to come to an end at some point or the other. Yes, there are exceptional cases. Like for example, Iblis. We know that he asked Allah for respite. He was given the respite until when? Until the day of judgment. So he will not die. Similarly, we learn that Isa a.s. he was also not given death, but rather he was lifted up to the heavens and he will return. Similarly, we see that the Jal, he is alive. From several ahadiths, we learned that the Jal is a person, he is a human being, but he is alive. And inshallah, when we will learn more about the Jal, you will find out. However, remember that these are all exceptional cases 
and to support each and every one of them, there is some textual evidence. There is some evidence from the Qur'an or from the sunnah of the Prophet So other than these cases, it is not within our authority to say that, oh, he is alive, Khadr is alive, and he drank from the fountain of life, therefore he is never going to die. No, we have no evidence to support that, therefore we should refrain from saying such statements. And besides, remember, again, it doesn't have anything to do with your iman. Just as about Iblis, his wife, nothing to do with your iman. Similarly, Khadr, if it was necessary, we would have been informed about it. And also if you look at it, the prophethood of Muhammad wasallam it was for all alameen. Remember? Human beings as well as the jinn. And we see that during his time, the people and after him, all the people were required to believe in him and also follow him. And not just the people, even the jinn. They are required to believe in him and follow him. And we see that during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, several jinn, they came to the Prophet ﷺ, they believed. We learn in Surah Al-Jinn, we learn in Surah Al-Ahqaf, the jinn came, they believed. And they began following the Prophet ﷺ. And remember the Prophet ﷺ also said about Musa ﷺ that if he were alive, who would he follow? The Prophet ﷺ. Isa ﷺ, when he will return, who will he follow? Muhammad ﷺ. So if Khadr is alive, who is he supposed to follow? The Prophet ﷺ. If he is. But we see that even at the time of Musa ﷺ, Khadr was not his follower. So what does it show? That Allahu A'lam what his reality is. We are no one to pass judgments. We are no one to say he was a prophet or he was this or he was an angel or he was something else. We have no right to say that. And if it was something very important, something very necessary for our iman, we would have been informed. And in Surah Al-Hujurat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله Do not advance before Allah and His Messenger. And this is both in word and also in action. If Allah and His Messenger did not say something, we are no ones to invent it. If they did not specify, we are no ones to specify it. We have no authority. We are to follow, not to invent or to lead. So, even with regards to Khadr, what is our belief? That we believe in whatever Allah and His Messenger have informed us of. And beyond that, we don't say anything, we don't necessarily reject anything because we don't have any evidence. We just believe in however Allah has created him and whatever Allah has informed us about him. Okay, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.